This podcast is sponsored by Xgrowth. Xgrowth is the APAC ABM agency. If you and your organization are looking to land and expand enterprise mid-market deals, Xgrowth is the agency to help. Xgrowth works with a wide range of international and global technology vendors, service providers, and B2B SaaS companies. If this sounds like some of your interests to know more about, make sure to check out Xgrowth at xgrowth.com.au. That's xgrowth.com.au and chat with the APAC ABM agency. What's up, marketers, and welcome to another episode of the Growth Colony Podcast. I'm Liza from Xgrowth to tell you that each episode we bring in B2B leaders to chat about how you can achieve those everyday wins in the marketing world. Whether you're new to the B2B game, working at a leadership level, or even just showing some interest, we know you'll love the episode. So grab a drink, get comfy, and enjoy the show. Hello everyone, welcome to another episode. I'm Shane Hoda with Xgrowth and today I'm talking to Matthew Robinson, Vice President of Marketing for APJ at Content Square about how to go about humanizing your digital customer experience in 2023. On that note, let's dive in. Matthew, thanks for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. First thing I wanted to ask, Matthew, is I want to go straight into it and talk about digital customer experience and the behaviors. Um, what are some of the trends that you're currently seeing in this space, especially in the B2B arena? So look, I think there's no escaping that the B2B landscape at the moment is tough. We're all probably sick and tired of hearing the buzzwords of the macroeconomic climates and things like that. But look, there's no getting away from it. It's going to affect B2B spend. It's going to affect headcount. We're seeing a lot of the giants in B2B with layoffs, with budget restrictions. 2023 is going to be tough and it's going to affect behavior on two levels, the, the company level and also the consumer level as well. And when you're looking at B2B spending behavior specifically, often it could be a long convoluted journey. You know, most things now have a major element of digital in the decision-making mix. So it could be social media, it could be content that people see, it could be ads that people are served. They're all gonna influence a purchasing decision. But I think for now, when we're talking around the digital customer experience, I'll probably focus around the website and app as that's where sort of Content Square have, have their expertise in. And for me, a big buzzword um, for us as a business that we're, we're, we're using, we're seeing is, is around optimization. I think that's gonna be key as we move into this year. Companies are gonna have less spend. They're gonna have less money to spend on their marketing campaigns, their marketing programs, on new technologies, on acquisition. And we've all got to operate in a much leaner basis. So for me, I think the biggest trend that we're going to see is the focus on conversion rate optimization. So what I mean by that is when it comes to B2B websites, brands will need to convert that traffic at a much higher rate and maximize that ROI, that spend that they're making, driving people to the website. Uh, and converting them. An interesting stat that we actually pulled um, about B2B is, you know, the conversion rate for B2B brands is only 0.6% for website traffic, which is absolutely tiny. If you compare that to retailers, to 
uh, you know, financial institutions. And when I say uh, conversion, that could be, you know, and often a B2B, you know, it could be a demo request or, you know, the final form field. But it's one of the lowest conversion rates in the industry. And I think that we are seeing that shift. We'll see that shift for B2B brands to start operating in structures similar or at least closer to their B2C counterpart. So in B2C brands, let's take a, a retailer or an e-commerce retailer, for example. You're going to be having teams with focused on acquisition. You're going to be having teams focused on design, the UX design of the website. There's going to be web optimization teams. There's going to be background IT teams. There's going to be a whole host of different job functions concentrated on maximizing the website. The website is basically, the, it's not just the flagship store for B2B brands, it's often the only store. When we're looking at other e-commerce or B2C brands, the website or you know the, the, the app might be 10, 20, 30, 40% of overall sales, and then maybe the stores uh, represent some of the other spend. B2B is often the only channel that people will have to make a conversion, whether that's book a demo or contact sales or, or, or make a purchase. So I think we're going to see a lot more focus around, okay, we're getting all of this traffic and the majority of B2B brands inbounds or website traffic is the number one marketing channel for getting third-party events or anything else like that. So it's about, okay, you've got all these people coming to your site, all these people browsing your content, looking at what you do, trying to understand your products, uh, looking at your content. How do we maximize that? Do we actually understand the journeys that we have on, on the website? Do we understand where they're struggling? Do we understand what content drives what behaviors? And I think this is the big trend that we're going to see is, is that focus on CRO, which is absolutely critical, especially in the current environment where we've got to spend less, maximize more and, and, and get ROI. I think that's going to be one of the biggest trends we'll see. With regards to CRO, I mean, a CRO has been, a, you know, it's, it's, it's quite an established, especially in the B2C, like you were saying, quite an established field. When it comes to B2B, are there tactics that you see working really well? The reason I ask that is the, in CRO, my experience is new tactics opt, uh, operate really well. And yes, there are there's some there are certain fundamentals that you got to follow through and make sure that 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 is ticked off. But certain tactics work really well. For example, when pop-ups came about and the first time you saw a pop-up, you're like, what is this? And you read it very carefully and you're like, hmm, interesting. I can just put my email here and I will be subscribed to your newsletter. That's interesting. Versus, you know, six months after that, you're like, where is the X button? And uh, you couldn't you couldn't race faster to get to that to that close button. Are there certain tactics in the B two B space that you're seeing right now that are quite impactful that a lot of organizations are using? Yeah, definitely. Good question. I think I'll probably start by addressing this from a, a sort of more strategic level, and then go down into some more specific tactics. So sort Let's of flip, reverse that. But um, <laughs> it probably sounds like a cliche, but like for me, when we're talking about tactics and things that you know companies come in to implement, especially B two B, it's a bit of a cliche. But I still go back to the people, process, technology, and I'd probably add in culture to that mix, just as the fundamental start for any sort of digital experience improvement journey. If we take culture as the starting point, I think we're going to see a lot more of a data-driven culture around, around the B2B space. This happens quite often in the B2C space, but again, 
I think we'll start to see this a lot more in, in B2B. So one great example is more just setting from you know a company-wide level, setting that expectation and encouragement of experimentation, of trialing new things when it comes to the online space. So a few companies do it really well where they have monthly town halls, for example. And in those town halls, it's geared around um, you know, celebrating optimization wins, but critically celebrating optimization failures as well. So teams that might have come from the web web team and done an A-B test and actually test, like the, the test has absolutely bombed. It's been terrible. But it's importantly about what learnings they can take from that. And again, importantly, it's not just for the marketing teams or the digital teams. That's open to everybody. So if you're in finance, you're in HR, whatever business unit that you're in, it's an open invite and you can come celebrate and buy into that culture. I think another thing that we will see is, is, is more justification of decisions in data. Uh, at Contest we have a saying that's, you know, without data, it's just another opinion. That's not to say that every single decision we need to make has to be rooted in data and carefully researched. But for some of the major strategic decisions or the business decisions, we absolutely should be using data to supplement, to support, and in some cases to steer, you know, the prioritization and, and where we want to focus on. I think when we're talking around people, I think that you know we've got to try and facilitate that data-driven mindset and also set expectations. And I think one major stumbling block that we see a lot of brands in is, 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 is data silos. Often, a lot of different teams are using different sources of data to make decisions. And you know, that's going to cause internal confusion. Um, it could give different teams conflicting insights. So I think it's really important to unify that data, understand where it's been used, where it's been stored, how it's been used, and this is databases, tools, apps, etc. And importantly, understand like how it flows between those different places. So ultimately, it's a data audit for your company just to understand, okay, how are we interpreting and using that data? And I think as well as joining more closely the different departments together, and we see this start to happen in B2C, and I think it will happen in B2B as well, where roles have got to work closely together. And I guess an example would be, look, in a B2B world, if you're looking at implementing a new marketing automation tool, You've got to have sales, marketing, IT, all communicating and aligned. If, for instance, marketing just goes off and buys it and hasn't consulted legal IT sales, that's going to, again, lead to silos. So it's about joining up those different job functions um, you know, to, to unify that data. I think when we're talking around process, again, I think a lot of businesses really need to start with the goals and the objectives of the business first and then work backwards. Too often that we, we see some brands that start with, okay, I'm, I'm responsible for the online, uh, the, the website. It's not going from the business objective. It's like, okay, what do I think I'm, needs to be done? Or what do I see as the improvements? Rather than starting off by firstly looking at, okay, it's the goals and objectives and then working backwards. So it's understanding and interpreting the, the data they see at speed. It's prioritizing that roadmap as well. We're not shy of things to do, right? All of us probably have 101 things on our to-do list and we're never realistically going to get through them and be sitting there going, oh, I've just magically done all of my to-do list. But done with the to-do list. There's nothing exactly. left in there. Exactly. It just doesn't never happen. Never said anyone. <laughs> prioritization of that roadmap is key. And prioritizing based on things like data, based on impact to the business, based on what's going to make the biggest fundamental difference or where people are struggling the most. I think that's key.
And then obviously it's the analysis of, of the why. It's getting that analysis at speed. The quicker that we're able to identify and diagnose potential issues, the more we can do as well. And then I guess that brings me on to the final piece around technology. And I think there's loads of like cheap or free tools to get started. For instance, UX analytics tools. So, um, you know, most, most businesses will use, will use GA, Google Analytics, as, as, as their bedrock. And that's great. You know, they, they're great at showing what's happened, clicks, who's exited the page, traffic, etc. But they're really lacking in that fundamental understanding of how and why visitors and customers are behaving, where they're hesitating, uh, where they're getting frustrated if there's any errors. And there's, there's a bunch of tools out there, like Hotjar, for example, a great UX um, an- analytics tool where you, know, you, you can sign up for free. You can have a look at things like heat maps, uh, voice of customer, basic uh, behavioral insights to, to go and get started that you can look and apply to your own website or B2B of any size today. Then there's other um, analysis tools. I think speed analysis is going to come to the forefront today. Um, there's actually Google stat which says that the probability, I'm trying to remember now, the probability of bouncing, bounce rate increases by about 32% between one and three seconds. So again, for a slow page loading time, that's going to be critical to, um, to businesses. And actually taken from one of our B2B benchmark reports, the average load time per page is 1.5 seconds on B2B. That should be the benchmark for B2B brands. But we've got to remember that Google Core Web Vital metrics, speed of the website is one of the main factors in determining your SEO ranking. And given that in B2B especially, 85% plus of traffic is from organic search to B2B, making sure that that speed analysis that your website you've tested your pages to make sure that it's loading correctly, it's going to be a huge uh, ranking on where you're doing SEO, not just SEO, but also on the experience that, that they provide. And then lastly, I'd say looking at web accessibility. I think that this is a topic that, you know, was, was sort of balled up to the, to the consciousness and a lot, of, a lot of brands last year, and I think will be a huge major role this year, is around web accessibility. We often disregard or don't even consider the fact when we're building websites, building landing pages, building, creating content, that there's over a billion people globally that have some sort of disability. And that could just be a visual impairment. It could be color blindness. But again, when you're looking at creating that B2B content, whether it's your website, assets you create, are there certain text formats that actually are quite inaccessible? Do you have text large enough to see? Is there a a weird color palette that you might have on your site that actually excludes a lot of people from actually being able to see that effectively? And again, just by simple Google for both the speed analysis and web accessibility tools, if you just type in free speed analysis tools, free web accessibility tools, there's a lot of tools that you can use as plugins just to get started. I love it. No, that's uh, obviously those three, the people process and tech is, is very fundamental and crucial. The other thing I'm I'm curious about with your experience is what are the differences that you see or differences in terms of approach that you see between companies, B2B companies who target, for example, SMB or mid-market and companies who focus on the enterprise space? What what are kind of the the differences that you see between the two when it comes to digital customer experience? That's a great question. I feel that enterprise probably has more of that human element just because of the 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 acv 
deal sizes tend to be more. The customer success teams tend to be more. And one thing that we're seeing as well in, in some of the larger B2B enterprise brands is a function of, of customer experience. Those roles that are geared purely around augmenting and helping that customer experience. I feel like in, in smaller SMB, it's probably less of that human element and therefore absolutely critical for those sort of brands to rely on the user experience as that customer experience interface. If you're thinking about, you know, whether that's online shopping, for example, to take a B2C example, when you go into a store, let's say you're going to a clothing store, a good shopping assistant can see if you're struggling, if you're wandering around. It's basically a bit like me before every Christmas trying to find my partner some Christmas gifts going into a store and, and looking hopelessly lost and then going, excuse me, sir, can, can I give you a hand? And you're like, oh my gosh, yes, please. Here's what I'm looking for. Here's the type of things that she likes. It's last minute. It's probably Christmas Eve. And, you know, that's a great customer experience, being able to see that I'm frustrated or looking lost and confused and being able to give that service. When it comes to the online space, you know, we don't have that online shopping assistant. Yes, there might be a chatbot on some websites, but ultimately it's your site architecture. It's that user experience of your site, which is going to play the role of that online store assistant. And I think especially for the B2B SMB space, it's critical that on your online touch points, your UX is seamless and intuitive. It doesn't have to be this amazing, game-changing, fundamental, fundamentally unique user experience. Often a great user experience can just be getting from A to B as quickly as possible. If you think about brands like Amazon, it's not necessarily you have the best user experience. It's just, it's easy. You can buy things in two clicks and the click of a button. It stores your information. They know where you live. You've put that um, those details in and it's just A to B as quick as possible. If I want to buy something in two minutes, I can go and do that on Amazon. And again, B2B brands need to have that same approach when it comes to understanding the browsing behavior and being able to make sure that their UX is seamless. People aren't getting frustrated. They're not trying to fill out forms. They're not seeing four or four messages. They're getting from A to B, whatever your website goal is, as quick as possible. We've, we've obviously talked about the, the three areas of focus that people process in tech. Where do you see organizations having the largest gap uh, when it comes to digital experience, where do you see that companies have the the biggest hole that they need to fill in order for that trial to to work effectively? It's, it's it's probably covering some of the points that I mentioned. I think first the biggest gaps around this lack of understanding that I spoke about. It's we're still using often legacy technology like GA from twenty years ago, and we still don't really understand how visitors behave online. I'd say that for those that are listening, honestly, like regardless of your role, check in with your teams or just ask yourself like the questions of: Do you actually understand where the biggest drop offs are on your site? Do you understand the common frustration points on your website? Do you understand what content drives what the best behaviors? So that could be signing a demo request. Where do they come from on your site? And it's these basic questions, these basic visitor journeys that I feel that that's the biggest gap is that lack of understanding of how we actually behave and identifying those gaps. I still feel as well in terms of the gaps, there's still that massive underinvestment in online and the CRO that I spoke about, which is changing versus either offline. And I'm just thinking about my, you know, our personal experience in, in Content Square, you know, when we spend money on, on third party events, on paid media, on PR, you know, often, you know, a lot of B2B brands will, will spend the same, but a lot of these are activities that drive traffic to the site. 
But again, it's what are we doing to actually maximize that traffic on, on, the, on the sites? And I guess lastly, and again, I touched on this, is, is, is around this sort of data silos issue. I still feel that we don't understand fundamentally enough about our visitor and our customer behaviors. Teams don't work as effectively together uh, and often we can get this data siloed. People don't struggle for, for data. Let's, let's put this out there. It's not a case of, you know, brands are struggling for data, but brands are struggling to interpret that data and do that quickly. And then importantly, action that data. It's no good having all of the data in the world or even all of the insights if you don't know how to prioritize and, and act on those. That's a, that's a, I love how you put it that way. And I think that really crystallizes it. Matthew, I have some rapid fire questions that I want to ask you, but... Before I dive in there, I want to I want to see if there's anything on the digital customer behavior that you think we we should touch on that we we haven't. I mean, we we've talked about the 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 challenges that a lot of companies are facing right now with a tighter budget, doing more with less, you know, and we've we touched on the people process and tech, we've we touched on some some tactics and and the differences between SMB and enterprise in the B2B space. Is there anything else that you think is really critical for us to touch on that maybe I haven't asked that you think we should cover? There's probably probably more like in, in terms of advice, there's probably two two aspects that I would give. I think one is a, is a way to start. And again, remember, like, it's not, it's the people, process, tech, and obviously culture underpinning that. It's you, you've got to start with the, the, the people in the process. And what I'd encourage everyone to do is relive your own customer journey. So identify all of the channels that are used by your customers, but put yourself in the customer's shoes. So what could negatively affect their customer experience? And go through that process. So go onto your own website, pretend that you're a customer, click on some of your ads, and then follow that journey. Is it a case that you're looking at, you know, custom, there's not enough customer reviews for some of your products. <laughs> I guess anecdotally, actually, customer reviews are so important. My partner, she will refuse to, ex- to accept any short list of restaurant that I would give her that falls below a 4.3 on Google, which is crazy. I could be like, hey, all right, where should we go for dinner tonight? Here's some options. Oh, this is a 4.1. We're not going there. So <laughs> it sounds it's, like she's from Melbourne. <laughs> <laughs> it's, customer reviews are, are so critical. And you know, have a look. You know, Is it slow page load times? Again, use some of these free tools that I talked about. You know, Are you getting some 404 errors or some bugs or some you know forms that are difficult to fill really look at and 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 envisage that customer journey look on mobile look on desktop fill out forms and see what experience that you get and i'd probably leave with with a few common ux pain points that i guarantee every single one on the person listening to this on the call each of these things that i'll cover there will be something that will affect your website we see this in all of our clients. We've got over a thousand clients. Every single one of these clients will have these issues. I think first would be looking at your search bar experience, making sure that if somebody types for whatever it is that product, let's say it's B2B and you're looking for a particular software, making sure that that turns some results and it's not no results found when it could be something that's quite close to, to your product. So have a look, start typing in your own search functionality. Secondly is around you know glitchy fields or, or call to actions. Often you know these, these things can... Uh, can, can result in failure. So again, test your CTAs. Form errors, I could probably do an hour talking around uh, form errors. 
it affects every brand, especially in B2B, when we often have forms for downloading content for demo requests. There'll always be form errors on your website. It's really important that you understand exactly where those errors are on your forms and resolve them quickly. Other one two that I would say, non-clickable elements. 100% a huge source of frustration. You know, I even I, I, I see it on every single site that I go to, a big hero banner that you're like, okay, yeah, I wanna click. And actually it's only actually a really tiny clickable text where you want to click on the main banner itself. People will rage click, click multiple times on things they think are clickable that are not. Big source of uh, a bad customer experience. And I guess finally, I'll probably say landing pages that are too long. A lot of brands are guilty of this, that try and cram everything on one page and you have to scroll down and down and down. Honestly, if you're looking at you know, that, the, the, the page analysis, often on, on, on a lot of brands, people won't even see the content that sits at the bottom. But it, you could have really high-performing content elements that are sitting there, but only maybe 10% of people actually will see it that lands on that page. One of my favorite stats that, that we uncovered in our, in our benchmark um, report was 51% of all website content goes unseen. So if you think about your own website, half of that content will never be seen by anyone visiting your website. And of course, there's some pages that you know, you're not that fussed about them seeing. Do you really want them to look in one of the specific T's and C's comment? But actually, we're creating a lot of content and often brands don't know what the performance of that content is. And by performance, that could just mean how engaging it is. What behaviors does that content lead to? Do they find it helpful? Do they take any other actions post that content? So again, like these are things that you can just look at from without any tools or technologies, just going onto your website and actually having that own custom experience on your site. I love that. That's, that's solid advice. I, I think I missed one, but I know you talked about search, testing search. I think I missed the second one, which is, uh, and then the third one was was form errors, non-clickable elements, and then landing pages are too long. What was the second one, Matthew, that I missed? Oh, just glitch, glitch fields or CTAs that don't work. So, I mean, it's kind of linked to forms, but you know, you can fill out a form, click, nothing happens. And again, it could be as simple as just, and most websites have this, you know, flagging in red. This is the exact form field that you haven't filled out correctly, and here's why. But again, these prompts, when we go back to talking around the UX is the store assistant, you know, you don't have a, a shopkeeper to say, hey, actually, you haven't put the postcode incorrectly, or you haven't actually specified you've put in a Gmail email address and we need a work email address. But if you're not making that intuitive, you're not having that as a little prompt, people aren't going to know necessarily. They're going to get frustrated and they're going to leave. I have one last question, Matthew, and it came out of what you just explained. And right at the beginning, you talked about, you know, going through your own customer journey. And this was a question I got a couple of days ago, actually, about building a customer journey. What is your advice in terms of building a customer journey? Because I feel like a lot of times customer journeys could become all of a sudden too complicated too quickly, and then they become this this behemoths of a, of a, of a um, document where it's like, where do I even start? There's a lot more information I can put in here. How deep do I go? My question is, you know, what is your rule of thumb when it comes to designing customer journeys? Are there some tools or, or tips that you have for, uh, for building them? I think this is uh, the question for a, a five-hour podcast. Is that, this is another session, huh? Well, uh, <laughs> this is another we'll... <laughs> session. But hey, look, let me let me let me try and um, try try and answer that. I think uh, there's, there's there's a couple of things there. Again, it's it's all part of the the, the journey. Like when it's I uh, talk about accessibility, 
all of these things, like when it's site speed, is just start small. Like you don't have to, if you're starting this for the first time, you don't have to go in and be overwhelmed about all of the potential journeys you have, which there are numerous, numerous segments, numerous journeys that people have on your site. So don't be overwhelmed, first of all. I think prioritization is, is gonna be key, and I'll give an anecdotal example. One of our, um, one of our, one of our clients is a, is, a, is a retail client. They basically looked at behaviors that were conducive to buying on their site, and they identified that if people, for instance, used a mixture of looking at the size of a particular you know, item of clothing, if they used the search functionality to type in a specific product, if they did, like, did certain behaviors, it would mean that they were the biggest propensity of those that could buy. So actually, they focused all of their customer journey efforts on just that 20% of customers. They effectively ignored 80% of their customers and really focused on, well, let's prioritize those that show some buying intent. Let's just forget about those that aren't displaying behaviors. It might just be like they're just browsing, they're just looking at the price, they're just comparing. And, and again, like it's not a, a short-term thing, it's a quick win, but I think it's all around prioritization. So therefore, like a, a great analogy that I heard years ago was around this aspect of, it was almost like the Richter scale of optimization. And it was actually, instead of starting out on the outer circle, start at the epicenter. And if you're a B2B brand and your major source, your, your ultimate goal on your site, like ours, is you know demo request. Of course, you want to service great content, etc. but you want people to say, yeah, I'm interested, I've seen what I want, I like the look of this, can I make a demo? Start there, look at your demo request page and work backwards. Look at your demo request page form, look at the traffic that goes to your demo request site, look at the behaviors that drive from your site to that demo request landing page, start optimizing there. Make sure that that loads fast. Make sure that that form, that landing page copy, that imagery is accessible. Start your analysis there on the most important parts of your business, then work backwards. There's always gonna be time for optimizing your product pages, optimizing your white papers and resource section of your site, but start where there's gonna make the biggest business impact. Closest to the money. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, love that. No, that's a, that's a great summary of that, that Small question, but uh, it, was, it, it was a lot behind it. So I really appreciate that. Have you read the State of ABM and APAC report yet? If you have, you'll know that 59% of marketing leaders are intending to increase their ABM investment in the coming year. Even bigger news is 0% of survey respondents are going to decrease their investment. It's an exciting time for ABM in the region. Discover the state of account-based marketing in APAC today. Download the full report at abm.xgrowth.com.au forward slash report. That's abm.xgrowth.com.au forward slash report. All right, let's do some rapid fire questions. The first thing I want to know is what is one resource it could be more than one, by the way, if you got if you got more. But I, I, know, I know you're a reader. So uh, what is one resource? It could be a book, a blog, a podcast, a conversation, whatever it is that has had a profound impact on the way that you work or live. Oh, tough question. I don't think I could give one. So I'm glad you gave me the out so the caveat that I could name more. Do than it. One. Do it. I think for me, like the one that, that resonates is Purple Cow by Seth Godin. I remember reading that as a teenager and... Again, the one takeaway, I feel like often in business books, you know, if you get one takeaway, it's worth the read. You're not necessarily going to have 20 takeaways that are all actionable. But if there's one insight, 
that you go in and learn from or action, it's worth it. And that the premise of that book is around just standing out. If there's a purple cow in a field, you'd notice it. It would get your attention. And it's all, I think that sort of stayed with me in that I don't want to just do and throughout my career, you know, generic, boring, competitor copying work or work because it's always done in B2B. We want to try and be different. What's our different angle? What's our approach? What's our unique take on doing, whether it's a white paper, a video, a presentation, what can we do differently? So I think that's always been in the back of my mind as I've sort of done marketing myself and and, and, and created teams is servicing that. How can we be different whilst obviously pushing to the business goal? I think if I'm like to give other resources, I think currently probably over the last sort of six months diary of a ceo by stephen bartlett the high performance podcast are two great podcasts and for me especially b2b my big advice is is, you know just go beyond the b2b you know influences b2b content some of the best learnings happen when you're it's completely not in b2b it could be reading a non-fiction fiction book about a completely different topic it could be about listening to a podcast on a completely different topic absolutely you want to get the advice from b2b and that's you should do that but also you should look at other avenues as well to blend those learnings that you have and i want to give a shout out as well a caveat he is a good friend of mine but honestly one of the books it's called boring to Bay brave boring to brave by mark schwakey it's all around bravery and specifically b2b and it has loads of practical anecdotal examples would thoroughly recommend that as a sort of a, a must read for b2b but again caveat i'm good friends with mark so take that with a pinch of salt but it honestly is a great book i love it i love it all right thank you very much for those uh for those three question number two is if you could give one advice one piece of advice to b2b marketers what would it be ring fence time for creativity i think it's really easy for us to get bogged down in in the day-to-day and and not surface and and breathe air. You know, again, we all have so much that we're on our to-do list, so much that we need to action and execute, but we need to ring thanks time to listen to podcasts, to just go for a swim and think about ideas, to go for a walk and mull over one of these sort of challenges that that you have. One thing actually I'd really encourage um, a lot of teams to, to, to do, and especially this is a call out to leaders, I recently implemented this for my team. It's called the 5% rule. So 5% of your working week is ring fence. So you're off Slack. You're not checking emails. It's blocked out in your calendar that we can't be booked over, which is, you know, if you're full-time, it's roughly about two hours, two hours a week of pure creativity, pure learning. So it could be listening to your fantastic podcast. It could be just thinking of a challenge whilst you're in the gym on a treadmill. It could just be you're sitting on the sofa with a notepad and pen thinking about something whilst listening to music. Whatever it is, we've seen some of the the best ideas come from that 5% out of the 100% of the working week. So I think ring fence time, step back and make sure that you have time for that creativity. Ring fence, creative, creative time. I love it. Question number three, who are some of the influencers in the in this space that you follow? So I'd probably say this too. I think for, for B2B, it's like the, the godfather of B2B, if you will, like Dave Gerhardt. I think a lot of his community on Exit 5 that he's he's generated has has some brilliant insights. And I think it's really practical as well. It's 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 around practical insights and learnings from from, from the B2B community as a whole. So I think his his work is great. Also, I feel like for 
I guess, influences with, with double inverted commas. There's a lot of self-proclaimed influences. But I find it really helpful listening to sales, LinkedIn influencers in particular. I think it gives a different perspective uh, than marketing. I think marketing is important. There's lots of B2B podcasts and content that I consume, but sales just gives you that different perspective to how can we as marketers work more collaboratively and, and help sales. And it will often spot different ideas that you maybe wouldn't necessarily get from, you know, from exclusively listening to B2B. So yeah, I'd, I'd encourage you to, to, to look at not just sales as well, but whether it's products or other job title areas to get that creativity and inspiration. Matthew, last question. What's something that excites you about B2B today? I think it would be the huge upside in growth in potential. I feel like we're still behind B2C in terms of, you know, structuring teams, approaches to creativity, approaches to new technologies, to new channels, like influencers, etc. But it's become more and more, I guess, sexy, if you will. Um, what we've seen at Content Square is, you know, a lot of people that, you know, where our clients were working in, you know, quite exciting e-commerce spaces are actually really excited and, and came in and joined us. And I think it's because that the products on often on B2B is constantly evolving. The challenges are evolving. It's a cliche again, I know, but, you know, no two weeks are the same. You know, you're constantly having to come up with creative solutions to optimise. There's always, you know, a, a, a new zenith to reach. So I just think that there's so much exciting things that are happening. Yes, we are entering one of the toughest times in recent years for B2B, but I think we should get excited. I think it's going to facilitate a lot more creativity. It's going to force us to, to look at a lot more robust optimization for new ways of doing things. And I generally think that this year will force people to become a lot more creative. So I'm excited to see what this year will bring in, in the B2B space for sure. You and me both, sir. You and me both. No, that's a great answer. And on that note, Matthew, this has been an awesome conversation and really appreciate you coming on the podcast. Thank you so much for your time. Oh, thanks so much for having me. Enjoyed it. Today's episode of Growth Colony was produced by Alexander Hipwell and Liza Maywald. It was edited by Dave Semedo with additional editing by Liza Maywald and music arrangement by Alexander and Liza. Special thanks to Tina Wabe. We couldn't make the show without you. Growth Colony is hosted by Shaheen Hoda, Director of Growth at Xgrowth. If you enjoy the podcast, please subscribe and give us a rating on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Do you think you'd be a great guest or just keen for a chat? Send through an email at podcast at xgrowth.com.au. That's podcast at xgrowth.com. That's all for now. We'll catch you next week right here on Growth Colony.